This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Driftwood by Maureen Wilkinson and Karaoke at 2100 by Julia LaSalle. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts. Driftwood, written by Maureen Wilkinson, read by Mark Rushton. Listening time, 5 minutes, 10 seconds. The man on the beach was naked. With his back bent and arms folded around his shins, he looked out at the retreating water. Small eddies of foam popped against his scrunched-up toes. Trevor saw him as he rounded an outcrop of rocks still wet from the outgoing tide. The night sky, pale to misty blue, promised another hot day. Trevor hesitated, surprised to see anyone on the beach so early. He hoisted a frayed sack of driftwood more securely onto his bony shoulder and made his way across the damp sand. Morning. Looks like it's going to be another scorcher. Trevor eyed a large lump of driftwood, washed up at the feet of the naked man. The naked man looked up at the ill-dressed stranger. Mmm, he replied. Purposefully noncommittal, he returned his attention to the water. Bit early in the morning for sunbathing. The sun's not up yet. I don't intend to sunbathe. Trevor looked at the driftwood, and his fingers itched to pick it up. He could get a good price for that at the local gift shop. He moved in closer. Oh, one of those naturists, are ya? The naked man dug his toes into the sand and gazed at some spot between his plump thighs. No, he said, and hunched his shoulders as if protecting himself from further questions. Trevor crossed his feet and allowed his legs to scissor him into a sitting position beside the man. Bet you're one of those people who likes skinny dipping, huh? No, I'm one of those people who likes to sit alone on a beach. An edge crept into naked man's voice. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and I like being alone on the beach, too. Trevor picked up a piece of stray seaweed and dug his thumbnail into the dark green flesh. You can eat this stuff, you know, he declared, bringing it up to his nose and sniffing. Mind you, I'd rather have a plate of bacon and eggs myself. Nothing like fried breakfast. There's a good cafe up on the front there. He flipped the seaweed towards the water. Really? The naked man replied without interest. He stretched his legs a little further and hooked his heels over the driftwood. Trevor picked at the frayed edges of his jeans. You had breakfast yet? No. The naked man pulled his knees up to his chin, dragging the driftwood up through the sand to rest against his body. Small gouges, like plow tracks in a field of yellow earth, marked its progress. Trevor felt a spurt of alarm. He wondered if naked man was going to claim it. Collect driftwood, do you? The naked man peered at him from under bushy gray eyebrows and scowled, Look, whoever you are. Trevor. Look, Trevor, I'm not a naturist, nor a skinny dipper. I don't sunbathe, eat fried breakfast, or collect driftwood. What I am is a bankrupt contemplating suicide, okay? Oh, right, Trevor said and noted the pile of clothes by the man's side. A wallet and watch lay neatly on top. When are you going to do it, then? What? 
commit suicide. Now, I'm going to do it now. As soon as you leave, the naked man ran his fingers through sparse gray hair. Can I have the driftwood then? The words lingered in the air. The sea sighed against the shore in the ensuing silence. The naked man shook his head as if Trevor had struck him a blow. Then he leaned forward abruptly, pulled the wood from under his body, and thrust it in Trevor's direction. Here, here, take the bloody wood and go away. His voice was rough, close to tears. Trevor's unshaven face lit up. He clasped the knotted driftwood to his grubby t-shirt, and his eyes narrowed. You say you're going to do it now? Yes, the answer grated through clenched teeth. Trevor looked pointedly at the pile of clothes. In that case, you won't need this stuff, will you? For the first time, the naked man looked into Trevor's eyes. You want my clothes? Trevor's lips spread in a grin, revealing yellowed teeth. Well, you won't be needing them, will you? Not if you're dead. Naked man sprang to his feet and scooped up his belongings. You callous bastard, get away from me, his voice shook. Trevor stepped back, the smile still on his lips, as he watched Naked Man struggle awkwardly into his pants and shoes. Naked Man scrambled across the soft beach sand towards the road. Fucking ghoul, he shouted over his shoulder. Trevor eyed Naked Man's retreating back and slid the driftwood into his sack. That's two pieces of driftwood rescued, he chuckled. The End Maureen Wilkinson lives in the United Kingdom. She has been told she has a warped sense of humor. It is when walking her German Shepherd, her mind travels its own strange paths. Karaoke at 2100. Written by Julia LaSalle. Read by Anne Rushton. Listening time, 8 minutes, 8 seconds. Karaoke at 2100. So I'm stuck with Matt and Dave, these retired Marines turned contractors from work at this hotel bar in D.C. Both these guys are real stuffed shirts. The type of guys that get up at 0500 every day because they take life and work and all that crap oh so seriously. And they look like they could be twins. Hell, they look like they could be clones, sitting so seriously with their serious faces all buzz cuts and push-ups, at least 15 years younger than me, and not one lick of fun. I finish off my beer, and they are looking at me like I'm some crazy old bat, a half-in-the-bag programmer that's lost her rocks. I don't really care, but I know they would like me if they would just lighten up. Most guys love to travel with me, love to throw back a beer with me, love me because I can flirt and drink, and because with me around they can have a good time on karaoke night. Because their own wives gave up drinking and generally having a good time when they decided to squirt out some kids and start a home business selling Tupperware or Mary Kay. Or maybe their wives never did like to have a good time. I wouldn't know. I never gave up anything to become a wife. We're going to the Pentagon tomorrow. Our meeting is at 1100. The boys have never been there, and I can see the troops are getting restless even though it's still early evening, not even 2100. That's nine o'clock. I never got used to military time. My company likes to hire them, these serious former military types, so they can put appealing personnel statistics into proposals, 
whether they have the business sense or not, and they never do. They are retired military at 28, and they've never been to college. I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't be retired anything at that age, but that's why they have me. I may not take life seriously, but I can program. As far as programming goes, I have mad skills. Matt leans over the table. Are you ready for tomorrow? he asks me. He's distressed because it's the Pentagon, and he's afraid of doing something important wrong, and then Dave catches his vibe and looks over, scared. Sure, I say, and for a second I feel bad for them, seeing their nerves all raw like that. I can even remember feeling that way when I was their age and things still mattered. Before the business with the captain. Before I realized how much of life was a grift. Are you going to karaoke, I say to Dave, and he shakes his head no, then glances at Matt, who runs his hand through his hair. Really, I say, and lift my tinted brows. It's fun. Dave checks his watch and looks worried. They are indulging me. They've completely forgotten how to cut loose, how to have a good time. But these boys will never get any sleep if they don't lighten up. Together they haven't finished a single beer, so I say, I'll tell you a war story, and nod to the bartender to bring me what I think is my third. Matt gives me the steely marine look, like the Terminator or something, as if I haven't already seen that mug a zillion times before. I see that he's evaluating the situation, judging me, calling me a trollop in his mind, a fancy lady, but here he's more the accessory than I, and when my beer comes, I press forward. It was my first meeting with the captain, I begin, and despite himself, Dave perks up. That makes me smile inside. One thing I do admire about people of the military ilk, they know a good yarn when it's being told, and they respect that. Maybe they teach them the art of the war story in boot camp, a hidden gift bestowed with dog tags. I don't know. But somehow they all know how to do it, how to mash up the color with the plot, how to pace the story, how to reveal it. And they all know when they're being told one, and they know it's important. They will always listen, even despite themselves. They know it can teach a lesson and pass nervous moments, that a good yarn can keep you bound up during tense times and create a distance from times that hurt. They've all got a few, too. A military man always has a few stories that they practiced and got down, and if you can get him to speak it, it's an honor. The captain could speak the best ones. I could speak his myself even still. I've heard him so many times. It was years ago now, I say, and I was so nervous, like you wouldn't believe. I took the metro from the hotel maybe three hours early. I was glad I did. You'll see for yourself tomorrow, but the security is intense, and me, I've never held any kind of clearance, so an escort needed to come down and look me over. In my case, the escort was the captain, and he led me through the big gates, past the press room with the purple curtain up the escalator. As you can imagine, I just about thought I'd pee my pants, especially with the captain there, such a good-looking, formidable man, and in truth he was playing it up, standing so tall with his shoulders so square. He never said a word as we walked down the hall, never asked about my trip, just smashed his shoes on the linoleum and made a big stomp. When he got on the escalator, he said, Are you ready then, ma'am? He was standing on the stairs below me, but still, he was taller than I. He is such a tall man. Yes, sir, I am. Now, I had said it to him as straight as I could hide my nerves, but he had been trained to sniff out fear, just as you two are, and I know he smelled mine. Matt and Dave both soften at the compliment. Matt's steely Terminator eye becomes more transparent, 
and though some brunette is butchering a karaoke song on the stage behind us, I can tell by their looks I'm all they hear. So then the captain says, as we're riding upstairs, are you patriotic? And I'm scared out of my wits because I think it's an exam. I don't realize he's playing me. What do I know about these things? And I think it's a test that I might fail, and I start wondering about those stories about Guantanamo until I'm all worked up inside. I squeak out a miserable, yes, sir, and I feel like I'm 13 again, all pimply and inadequate and just about to cry. The captain is crowding me on the stairs as we come to the top of the longest escalator ride ever. He's pulling the width of him so close to me, making sure I feel small. And I'm just about to make a run for it when I catch a sniff of something familiar in the air. It's Taco Bell. I take a deep breath of the chimichanga crissier and relax, because now I know it's no lion's den after all. It's a food court and a mall. A mall right there in the Pentagon. Really? says Dave. Really? I never knew either. Not before I went there and rode up those stairs with the captain. And the second I realized what it was, I looked up at the captain and smiled. Feel right at home, I said. Is that a baby cap? The captain's demeanor changed immediately once he knew I understood the terrain. Yes, ma'am, he said and winked. And that, I paused dramatically, was how V.1 of this project was won. The boys are looking at me wrapped now, and I can see they are both inspired entities. I could tell them more about V.2. I could tell them how it was twisted and bloated, convoluted through a personal affair. But why? That's never been the point of a war story. We'd been driving the van from Cleveland since 0500. 5A freaking M. And now that the story is over, Matt starts to yawn. But I'm not tired. I'm not going anywhere. I'm tweaked, polished, tweezed. And I expect to rock the place. So when the karaoke man calls my name, I swing up from the chair and wiggle my hips on my way to the front. When the music starts up, I sing A Boy Named Sue, and I crush it. I catch Matt and Dave exchanging a glance before Dave leaves the table to take a cell call, no doubt from his wife. The place is rocking out, and I take a drink between verses. Somebody makes a cat call, and I smile. The End Julia LaSalle's work has appeared in the Mississippi Review and Story Glossia and is forthcoming in Drunken Boat. She is currently co-editor of Steel City Review. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright, Bound Off, and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.